good to see everybody again. Like Selena said, it, it seems like it's been a long time since I've had the privilege of being up here. Uh, hopefully, y'all have missed me as much as I've missed you. <laughs> I hope, hope that's true. But uh, I do want to thank, um, thank everyone in the whole church family, just for what Selena said, just uh, my own side, I was going to say it anyway, and she beat me to it, even though we didn't talk about it. But um, how cool is it to actually see uh, that we are a church family and we gather around each other and you're not here because I'm here. Amen. Um, I, again, to me, that is a true marker of, of that we are succeeding and winning um, is that uh, we gather for each other. You know, we live in a church time and a church age that at times can be quite celebrity centered, mm -hmm. right? That can be about um, your favorite preacher or your favorite voice, right? And, um, and now this is a Bradology. This is Brad's opinion. That's not necessarily totally wrong. I realize that I am not everyone's cup of tea, <laughs> even. Okay, sure. Uh, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. Uh, even here, right? I realize I'm not everyone's favorite voice that we have here, and that's okay because we don't gather around people. We gather with people around Jesus. Can I just get a rousing, a little bit of an amen, just a small stir? Amen. Huh? Yeah, the kids, y'all can go on back with Miss Alicia. I'm sorry I missed that. That's my point. No, you know, you're never an interruption. You got it. Go on back. Go on back. If you're going back with Miss Alicia, we bless y'all. Thank you, Miss Alicia, for leading our kids so well. But again, I just really want to say that it's very, very cool. To me, that's a sign of success because that means we have a strong opportunity to build something that will outlast an individual. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? You know, I know some of y'all know me. Some of you don't know me yet. You know, we spent... Um, I was talking to um, my best friend, probably my lifelong best friend. Yesterday, I was at his house, and him and I were talking. And you know, we lived ten years in Canada, and one of the things that was in Canada. Hey, Kurt, you'll have to shut that. You have to push that pin up in that door. It didn't want to stay on you. Um, but when we lived in Canada, I I learned from the Lord the power of longevity of church life, because we were like the new church on the block. We had only been going for ten years. <laughs> and all the pastors I was hanging out with, you know, some of them, I remember Pastor Ed Gertzen, he had been pastoring his church for 55 years. And the church before him had been going for 45 years before that. And I just, it was such a powerful thing to see longevity and stability and stuff that was built around Jesus and the people gathering with each other. And it really marked me to sit there and say, okay, God, we've got to make sure we're building something that will outlast a single personality. I'm really, again, I'm not, this is not the point of the message, but just to share my thoughts. You know, I'm really concerned with some of our church stuff because it's built around the central figure. Right? And if the central figure was to get hit by a bus... <laughs> It, it, they would no longer have a church because we've successfully built it. I don't ever want to be a part of that ever again. Mm -hmm. Amen. 
So I'm grateful for all of y'all and so thankful for a church place and a church family where we can t- go away. And I'll tell y'all uh, what happened with the Holomans and we'll get into the message. I haven't left you in Ephesians chapter two, I promise. Uh, but it's just very neat. So I appreciate everyone doing that. We had a great time away. It was a very unconventional time for us. We were supposed to go to Phoenix and receive some training on how to help create books and content. That was the whole purpose of being gone last week. And uh, we had to lovingly and kindly uh, let our business coach free of his commitments, right? Because it was just becoming uh, not what was expected. So we ended up not going to Phoenix, uh, but we were, had the car packed and the oil changed. And, and my lovely wife looked at me and go, we're leaving, we're going somewhere. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Where would you like to go? And so we ended up going down to Panama City Beach and hanging out at the beach. And then we went to Orange Beach and hung out there. And we probably hadn't done that in a, as a family in, a, in like in a long, long time, if, if ever, as the, as the vocal 14-year-old says uh, and stuff. So it was a good for us to get away and just be. But remember, we shared a little bit on this on our, our Facebook stuff. Remember when life comes and disappointments happen? Do you know disappointments are going to happen? right? Learn to process and pivot, right? Learn to process and pivot, right? You start with processing, processing what was going to, again, we faced, it was quite disappointing for us. And we had to take a minute to stop and to, to grieve the loss and to sit there and say, okay, I'm very disappointed that this has not gone the way we wanted it to. Now, what are we going to do? And all that's going to happen. There's going to be disappointments that come. And so take the time to stop and process the disappointment and then pivot quickly. Just as quickly. We call it in the Holloman house, we we call it bounce back. You know, and and, and Lord, help me be one of those little bouncy balls we used to get as a kid. (laughs) Amen. Help me bounce fast. Right? Because I see so many people when disappointments happen, they splat. They don't bounce. Right? <laughs> they kind of end up splut on the floor and they, they lay there for some years, mm-hmm. right? And, and they don't pivot quite well. So uh, process and pivot, process and pivot. And so that's what we got to practice this week, amen? So we appreciate everyone <laughs> allowing us to be away. We appreciate everyone uh, praying for us and, and being there for us. We're so grateful uh, and just excited about all that God is doing in each and every one of us, amen? So here I sent you to Ephesians for a reason, and while we did communion the way we did this morning was for this. Uh, I'm going to start reading around verse 4, and it says in chapter 2, verse 4, But God, you going to watch a video? Oh, okay. <laughs> Over there, you can tell when the pastor's wife is watching a video in the middle of the... Miss Eloise, I need you to come talk to Selena when it's all... <laughs> no, nah, I'm too... I'm, I'm too... I'm teasing. I'm te- <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Amen. Hey, hey, listen, guys. Remember, we have fun in church, right? You'll hear me say this all that church should be enjoyed and not endured, right? And, and, and with the Lord's help as well, we'll build a place that's not uppity or not so high strung that we can't have a good time and laugh. Amen. Uh, so it says, but God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
that in the ages to come, he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace. I'm going to stop there just for a minute. Do you realize that that's, that's a promise from God? That's a promise from Jesus? That in the ages to come, he is going to show you and I the exceeding riches of his grace. You know, we're never, there was one translation that said it like this. The, the many folds are the manifold aspects of grace. You know, for, for the rest of eternity, God is going to be consistently and continually showing you and I the multitude and facets of his grace. Hallelujah. What he's done for you, what he's done for me, the depth of it. I really do believe that's why those angels in heaven, as they're flying around the throne, they're going holy, holy, holy. They just keep circling God and going, in good old Alabama speak, it can't get any better than this. And then they come around one more lap and go, it got better. And then they come around one more time and go, it got better. Mm-hmm. And it got better. And it got better. And so for the rest of your life, you're never going to plumb, experience, or exhaust the grace of God. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad about that? Amen. And so for the ages to come, he's going to keep showing us this in his kindness towards us in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Guys, listen, do you know where you experience the grace of God? In the kindness of Jesus. Mm -hmm. In the kindness of Jesus Christ toward you. Aren't you glad he has been kind to you? Now, do you understand that kindness doesn't necessarily mean a pushover (laughs) or a doormat or that he doesn't sometimes come up and and tell you something that's kind, but I still didn't want to hear it maybe at that moment, right? But it was kind, you know, it's kind when people walk up and go, Brad, you got a booger hanging out your nose, (laughs) right? I I don't want to hear it. It's embarrassing, right? But it's still kind, Right. And please love me enough to tell me if I, if I got a booger hanging out my nose or my flies down or, you know, or I got something in my teeth. You know what I mean? Or if I show up and Selena's out of town and I show up and my, my outfit doesn't match, please love me enough to come and say, Brad, your outfit does not match. Don't ever wear that ever again. Right. That's it's kind. Right. So sometimes kindness doesn't mean softness. But it is always for your good. Yes. Remember, kindness is always for your benefit. Yes. Kindness will tell you the things you need to hear even when you don't want to hear them. Right? Kind. Right? Jesus Christ, we experience the grace of God in the kindness of Christ. Right, and this, and this is all extra. We even got to where I think God wants to take us. It says, four in verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of a work, lest any person should boast. Now guys, this morning uh, you came here and you experienced verse eight and verse nine at the table this morning. Right? Because can I ask you, which one of you set the table? Don't raise your hand, even though I know it was you. Right? I know who set the table. This is, don't play with my illustration, all right? So did anyone here, besides the person, did anyone set the table for themselves? No. Did anyone prepare the table? 
right? So you understand that this symbol is the symbol of grace. Someone did something for you without asking you. They didn't get your permission to do it. They didn't ask you if you wanted it. They didn't consult your opinion about it, right? They just came and prepared the table. That's grace. Grace is everything that God prepared for you because of himself. Because of his kindness, because of his mercy, because of his goodness, because he is love, and because he wanted to. Hallelujah. Nobody twisted his arm to do it. No one wagged a finger at him and said, you better set the table. Right? He came and of his own will, he made grace available. And now all of you this morning responded with faith. Because responding in faith is simply you came up here and you received what was prepared for you in grace. Does that make sense? Now, could you have sat in your chair and stayed there? Mm. I I was glad to see that. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to pick on if you were here and, and and I saw some loving men and they were being good husbands. Some loving husbands came and got the elements for their wives. So what I'm about to say, I am not picking on you. Okay. I'm just going to make that real good and clear. All right. But in, in, in grace, there comes a point where no one can come and receive it for you. Yeah. Even though I know some people here, that's where my little analogy fell down. All these nice men kind of came up, right? And, uh, but in, in the sense, there comes a point where I can't receive the table for you. I can't come and take these things for you. No one can respond in faith for the grace that you need. You have to respond to the grace that you need. Does that make sense? Right? So do you understand this is by grace through faith? And guys, this is how we were born into the kingdom of God. This is how we will live the rest of our life in the kingdom of God. How you were born into the world is how you will live in the world. Like again, in a natural sense, you know, we're expecting little Char- Charlie. I got his name right, right? Is it Charlie? So we're expecting Charlie to come. So Charlie is going to be born into the world, right? And in some way or fashion, they're going to cause little Charlie to cry. Right, they're gonna get him, and what what are they trying to do when they make little Charlie cry? What are they wanting him to do? They're wanting him to breathe. Right, that's why they do that. That's why that they're not being mean. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's not being punished. Right, he may have kicked her. He may have kicked Tabitha in a way he shouldn't have. But they're not spanking him for that or any of that kind of stuff. They're trying to get him to operate Mm -hmm. in the world in a way that he will operate in for the rest of his days. They're trying to get him to get initially started breathing because for the rest of his life, he will breathe. Huh? That's right. The key to, the key to longevity is inhale and exhale and keep it up no matter what, right? I mean, as if you want to live a long time on the earth, just don't die. 
right? <laughs> you know, those kind of fun axioms we hear, right? And so, but guys, listen, you were born like that. You were born into the kingdom of God just like you did this here. By grace through faith. That's how you were born into the kingdom of God. He prepared things for you. You come and receive the things that are already prepared. See, a work, that's why when Paul says it's not of works, how many of you, in order to take communion this morning, you squash the grapes? Let me back up. How many of you, you first planted a vineyard, right? Then you cultivated that vineyard. Then you matured that vineyard. Then you picked the grapes. Then you squished the grapes. Then you made the juice. Then you bottled the juice. Then you poured the juice and then you took communion. Anybody do that? Praise God. Aren't you glad none of us did that? I mean, but guys, listen, that's what so many people, that's what we call law. That's what we call better than law. That's what we call self-righteousness. If I believe I have to produce this, that is a work, Paul says. See, grace is a gift of God. It's not of your effort. Does that make sense? It's not of your doing. The only thing you and I have to do is do what you just did this morning is you have to stand up. You have to come to him and receive what he's already done. Do y'all see that? See, that's the way the rest of your spiritual life will walk out in God. By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith, you were, and it says save. That word save, there is the Greek word sozo. And all you Greek people who like Greek stuff, the word sozo means utterly, completely, totally, radically, nothing missing, nothing undone, nothing incomplete, absolute and utter salvation. Mm -hmm. Right? Does that make sense? It's more than just my sins were forgiven. See, because sometimes in the modern church world, we say, oh, have you been saved? And what we hear and what people mean is, is have you had your sins forgiven? Mm -hmm. Right? That's only one aspect of salvation. Now, I've used this analogy before, but I like it. I love my mother-in-law. I don't know if she'll be watching or not. She checks in with us from time to time. I love my mother-in-law. But when you meet my mother-in-law, and if you're fortunate and blessed enough to celebrate Christmas with my mother-in-law... Typically, this is what you will get. Mom, I call her mom, our mom, the Canadian version. Mom will do this. She will give you one big old gift. And inside of that is all kinds of stuff. Anybody got another family member that's like that? When they come and, and you get, and you get, my brother has picked up my mother-in-law's anointing with this. So my brother does that at birthdays. Right, because he shows up and he's got these packages upon packages, and inside the packages, there's more little stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you get your gift, it's not just okay. Well, there's your one item. You you start pulling out. There's always candy. If it's my brother, there's always candy. Same thing with my mother-in-law. There's always chocolate. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get something made out of chocolate in there. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get something from the dollar store. 
if my mother-in-law has anything to do with it because she loves supporting the dollar store. And so you're going to get something from the dollar store. You're going to get all, and then there's going to be a main gift in there, the, the thing that, that she really wanted, to, and it's going to be in there, and you're going to keep pulling out. Guys, your salvation is just like that. And everything is wrapped. And everything is wrapped. You're unwrapping everything. Right. Huh? It's, it's like a, that's right, Miss Emma, it's like a stocking in your gift all squished together, right, with my mother on. But see, guys, that's salvation. Salvation is more than, now praise God, it, it covered the main thing, which was our sinful condition. And it liberated us from the thing that killed us and separated us from life, our sin. But salvation includes healing. It includes prosperity. I know that's not a, co- a nice word anymore because we have people going the prosperity gospel and, and we go get on. Listen to me. If you follow Jesus, Jesus is a prosperity gospel kind of guy because he wrote it. I, oh, I lost some of y'all right there. Look, and I can just tell. Uh, look, do you understand that? Do you understand Jesus? Can I just pop something here and we'll marinate on it for all? Do you realize Jesus was not poor? I got two people kind of shaking their head, right? Jesus chose to live irregardless of his wealth. He was not moved one way or the other by it. But Jesus was wealthy. Again, so you can, where do you get that from, Brad? Listen, when kings from a foreign country travel two years They didn't go two days. They didn't go two hours. They traveled two years to bring you a gift. They did not bring you a token little souvenir from the the little cheap gift shop down there that says, oh, by the way, this is from Persia. Happy birthday. Right? (laughs) Right? When you look at some of the history, when they showed up in Jerusalem with Herod, Herod thought he was being invaded and taken over. Herod thought, here comes these kings from another place looking to crown a king to take my place. So this was not a small entourage of people. This wasn't three little dudes on three little camels. This was a caravan of folks who rolled into town with enough money to send Jesus and his family to New York City of the day, which was Egypt, and take care of them the two years they were there to travel them out of Egypt and back to their hometown and help them reestablish their stuff. Does that make sense? Come on now, y'all look at me. But Jesus didn't live based on his wealth. He lived based on the kingdom. That's why he wasn't moved by it. It didn't move him one way or another. He wasn't running around. Now, again, he wasn't running around. And if I can just be mean, I'm going to be mean. Can y'all let me be mean? Can I be just a little mean? Is that right? He wasn't running around in flashy stuff. He wasn't pulling out big choker wads of cash. And, you know, because I'm wealthy Jesus. You know what I mean? Yet he wore stuff nice enough that when the Romans went to divide the spoils, because that was their right to do, the men who executed Jesus in Roman law, it was like conquering somebody. If you took somebody to the executioner's post, you got that person's stuff, that was your bonus for being a good Roman and killing somebody. 
right? So when they looked at his clothes, they said, this is too nice to do what we normally would do, which is cut up the garment and let us patch our old jeans with it. They said, this is nice enough. We're going to do what good soldiers do. We're going to gamble for it, right? We're going to, we're going to do a little bit of craps on the backside of the temple over here and see who wins the garment. So Jesus had nice stuff. He had plenty to do with. He just wasn't moved by it. It did not control him or motivate him. But you have to understand that one of the things that's in your package that you were saved for is freedom from poverty, which is more than just I don't have enough money. It's the mindset of poverty. Because there's a lot of people that got lots of money and they still poor because they stingy and they mean and they're not generous and they're unkind Okay, yeah, that's all. That's awesome. We'll get into that in the next Thank coming weeks. Then just meddling. Does that make sense? But see, that's what you were saved from. But you access it the same way. By grace through faith, you were saved from your sin. By grace through faith, you were saved from sickness. By grace through faith, you were saved from poverty. By grace, through faith, you were saved from insignificance. Do you understand that? Because you, you weren't just saved on purpose to wait for the coming day. You were saved on purpose to give you purpose. So that you could go and accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. Amen. Let me say that all the days of your life. So if you're alive, who here is alive? Anybody died on me so far this morning? <laughs> I got anybody here? Anybody check out? Everybody's still good. Everybody's still good. Everybody's still alive. That's our favorite. Uh, we, we watched that. Uh, what is that? The Croods movie. Anybody seen the Croods movie? You know, the little caveman movie. And I, that's our favorite Holloman scene is because, you know, if you haven't seen the Croods movie, there's like the main character, the like dad and he, him and his mother-in-law kind of do the classic mother-in-law thing. And, and they come out from the cave after hibernation or whatever it is. And, and he's counting heads and he realizes his mother-in-law hadn't come out of the cave yet. And he's all excited because, yay, she died. Right? And then you hear from the cave, you hear the voice of the little granny going, still alive. <laughs> you know, so if you're still alive, you were saved for a purpose. Yes. yes. So you understand that your salvation saved your existence here too because you were never to live without purpose you were never to live without a job too that's the next verse he says for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that you should walk in them so see you were saved for good works can i get can i meddle one more time Everybody just say, Brad, we love you. We love you. Right? Say, is, so, so you have to understand then there is no, my, my, my wonderful um, mature people that are here, right? There is no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of God. You understand that, right? Mm -hmm. Those of you who are working, you understand there's no such concept as retirement in God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. There will never come a day where I can stand back and you say, no, I did this pastoring thing. For like 40-something years now, I think I'm done. 
time to let somebody else have a go. And no, now I may let other people have an opportunity, but I will pastor people as long as I draw breath. Why? Because I can now with confidence say, oh, that's one of those good works. He has prepared beforehand and laid up for me that I should walk in it all the days of my life. Amen. You have that too. Always will. So please, and I say that because in our current church culture, we mimic the world's culture. And, and one of the greatest detriments in the modern church age is we've got too many of our older saints who are retiring on the kingdom of God. Yeah. I actually right. had a conversation with a lady one time, and she was like, I'm so proud of you. You're doing so good. Like, you know, you're a young Christian woman. You're doing, uh, you're following Jesus. That's awesome. And she's like, because us old people can't do it no more. Like, we're just here to pray for you guys so you guys can do a good job. And yeah. I almost wanted to look at her and be like, it's kind of a cowardly thing to do. <laughs> like, oh, okay, we raised a bunch of people, so now you guys get to go do it. And this generation is crazy anyway, and y'all understand it better than we do. So That's right. we just all take a back seat. Like, she literally said that. That's what, I was over here like, uh, uh, I need your help, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I say that because, again, that's, you, you hear that. But that's, how do you do that? By grace through faith. Do you see this? The way you were born into the kingdom of God is how you will live the rest of your life, even into eternity, into the kingdom of God. Because we already covered it, right? In the ages to come. What age is that? The ones to come, right? Whatever age that is, right? Him, him returning, whatever's beyond that, whatever's beyond what... Do you understand that God has more plans uh, than is written in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, have, you, have you ever been told that before? I don't know if you've ever been told that before, but you know, I, I, we know how the book ends. Praise God, we win. Jesus comes back. Yeah. Hallelujah. We go into something called the millennial reign of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. There's a little bit of more activity that happens after that. And then we go into eternity with him ruling and reigning and us being there with him. And the plan doesn't stop. He says, that's just enough for right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop the book there, but I haven't stopped planning there. So in the ages to come, how are you going to operate in the kingdom of God? By grace, through faith. So in the ages to come, this does not stop in the sense of the mechanics. We will constantly, he'll be showing us the manifold riches of his grace in the ages to come and we will be perpetually, eternally responding in faith to the grace of God that is going to be shown to us. Does that make sense? So this is why we're taking time to talk about some of this because it's important that we, this is, we're just practicing. Hallelujah. Now praise God, you're going to get real good at it. Because for the rest of eternity, we're going to be doing this. Yeah. Amen. Does that make sense? We're just learning now. Yeah. So that's why when we talk about then the response of faith is what we've been camped on. What does it look like? What does faith look like? Because in current church culture, how many of you have heard a concept like this? Faith is, is portrayed as a blind leap. Mm-hmm. Anybody ever heard that before? You know, I've had people talk to me about that. Well, you know, faith is just this blind leap. 
And man, you must have, and we say it like this, we must, you must have good faith. And, and we equate it to, and again, a good movie reference. I'm a movie person. Much as it hurts my wife's feelings, I like movies. I'm a good movie person. You know, we equate it to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? Y'all see that? The third Indiana Jones, the better of all the Indiana Jones is my personal opinion. The third one is the awesomest. But you remember at the end of the Last Crusade, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, so I'll just throw it. But there's this little Indiana Jones is going through these trials, and he comes to the, to the leap of faith. Right? And in the leap of faith, he's looking there, and he's looking around, right? And it looks like he's going to step off this chasm, right, into nothingness, right? Because that's what we think faith is. I'm going to step off into nothing. Right. And so finally he's there. He doesn't know what to do. And he goes, okay. And he just takes this big step. And when he steps off, he steps on this hidden bridge that was camouflaged that he just couldn't see. Does that make sense? Let me ask you a question. What was real? His imagination that there was no bridge or the fact that the bridge was there. What was real, even in the movie, is the bridge was there. Mm -hmm. He just couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. See, I love that's one of the main points I love that Brother Steve and Miss Rosie brought out to us. Mm -hmm. Faith isn't a blind leap into some trust that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's a confident knowing that something I can't see is actually there. Mm -hmm. I just can't see it. That's right. But he, he had to believe that it was there. Yes. If he stopped believing that the bridge was there, then he would fall. Sure. But if he kept like, no, but it's there, like I'm, I'm walking, I'm doing, you know, then he was able to step further. Invisible Absolutely. Well, well, that's a good another analogy we watch. Y'all aren't big movie people. We'll do that. <laughs> but here, here, here's the thing I want to more talk about like this. We sit there and say this. It's this. What's more real your healing or the sickness that you're facing right now? Mm, that's good. My healing. Which one's more real? Now, come on, play my game or I'm going to mess with you. Which one's more real? <laughs> right? My healing. Your healing or the sickness? Established. The healing is more real. I may not see it right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's there. It's been eternally, it's more real than the sickness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Does that make sense? What's more real, my provision or the apparent lack? Provision. Right. What's, what's more real, the fact that I've actually been made completely free from my sin Or the sin I'm currently fighting or the temptation I'm currently facing? Which one is more real? Do you, do you see this? So you understand that faith isn't a blind leap into something where we say, oh, I hope that happens. I hope somebody catches it. I hope there's a bridge there. I hope. Faith is actually a firm, confident, unwavering persuasion that there is something more real than I might be able to see right now. Hmm. Yeah. 
We're not sure, but it's assurance. It is the assurance. That's exactly right, Tabitha. See, I want us to get that. We talked about a little bit on this last Thursday night. Again, a, a number of years ago, I went through a process of persuasion personally because I've shared part of my testimony. I had struggled with sexual issues, everything from pornography to actual sexual activity that I should not have been participating in. And to me, again, I jokingly say it was a lot like being stuck in a Britney Spears song. I kept finding myself coming to church on Sunday going, oops, I did it again. Right? <laughs> right? And I'd come down to the altar one more time. and Oh, God, I'm so sorry. And please forgive me. And then I'd get up and I'd find myself back there the next time we were at church. And, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I did it. I'll never do it. Anybody else prayed that besides me? I'll never do it again until the next time. Come on now. And I struggled, like many people do, struggled with this thing, thinking, and then I was told by good church people, well, you know what, brother? You know, we're all just going to struggle with this, and we're all just going to fight with it, and it's just going to be our cross, our burden. It's just going to be something we're going to have to walk through. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And finally, I had to go through a process of persuasion where I let God lead me into the Word of God and show me in the book of Romans how I was free from my sin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been said and it, w- it was come and I need to watch my time because I'm not going to cover all of this in time. To give me a few more minutes and we'll land and we'll pick up some more in the coming weeks is, but you know, we've had, you know, it came up when Rosie and Steve were here. I think Kevin referenced it last week, the proverbial, you know, there was the the, the demoniac uh, son, right? The, the daddy had the son that was full of the demon and he brings the demon to Jesus or he brings the demon to the demon boy to the, the disciples. They can't get him delivered. Jesus comes down and says, you got little faith and kind of, you know, kind of corrects them a little bit. The dad in, in Mark's chapter, I think it is, the dad cries up and says, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Y'all remember this? And then he comes on down, Jesus delivers the little boy and then privately disciples come up and go, oh, what, 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 what happened? Why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, oh, that one comes out by prayer and fasting. Y'all remember that whole story? See, that was a process of persuasion, right? Jesus was persuaded in who he was and what was available to him. Right? The disciples weren't. Did they need more faith? No. Because then over in Luke's thing, Jesus tells them, you only need mustard seed kind of faith. Mm-hmm. So it's not about the quantity of persuasion that you need. Right? I love, Audrey and I were talking about this morning, you know, there was the, the, the father, I liked uh, his response because the dad was at least able to say, God, I believe as far as I understand. I believe, but I need help where I'm not persuaded yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because apparently there is a gap between where I'm at and what has been done for me. Yeah. So help my persuasion. Right, And then later, now, Jesus wasn't giving us things to do. When if you pray more and fast more, you'll have more power. That's not what Jesus was saying. Right. He was saying, oh, you need to make the in time and the intentionality to get yourself persuaded. Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Does that, does that help with that? Yeah. Right. Because 
again, we're talking about, you know, because even on fasting, right? And this is not a message on fasting, but, you know, many times we think today fasting is simply, I'm not going to eat, drink, or do. I'm saying no to my flesh and I'm just not going to do that. And most people, you know, now it's become, and please hear me. I'm, I'm picking on some church people. If you're watching, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to make a point, you know, but now it's real popular to do the, the, what is it? The Daniel fast, the 21 days of fasting and this, and we're going to fast over here. We're going to fast over there. And please hear me. Fasting is a wonderful thing and we should do it. So don't say Brad's anti-fasting because I'm not, but, huh? We should. We should. No, no, no. Well, here's the thing. Well, you know, you feel like you'd be more. Here's the thing. What I see most people do, and the reason why they're more hungry is it's they're not doing what fasting. They're not doing a substitution. It's not I stop eating, and somehow magically because I quit eating, I'm more spiritual. <laughs> right? That's, that's not. You're just hungry. That's all you are. Is if you just stop eating and all you do, I'm fasting because I quit eating. Now you're just gonna be hungry. Biblical fasting is I'm going to choose to stop this activity, eating. And when I would normally be going to the grocery store and buying food, cooking food, eating food, cleaning up the dishes after I ate the food, I'm going to take that time and come to the word of God and persuade my heart. Now I'm fasting. If I have done the process well, where it's not just I stop doing the one and think magically by stopping doing one, I'm going to get spiritual. Oh, come on now. Y'all looking at me all right? You understand? There is no magic to spirituality. That's so good. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's right. That's right. You understand? Right? I, I just can't. Ma- you understand? Magically coming here to my wonderful uh, oration of the depth of the kingdom of God is not magically going to make you a better Christian. Don't say that so loud. I'm just I figured. But does that make sense? Just coming to church is not going to magically make you grow. Because yep. we all know people who've gone to church for years. And they've heard all kinds of stuff. And they're still in the same boat. They've always been rowing in. Yep. In circles. With one oar. And that oar is half out the water. <laughs> right? Because there's no magic in showing up in a place that calls itself a church and somehow magically, spiritually, you're all spiritual. Right? The, the, the God tells us we grow in things from the Word of God and not just the hearing of the Word of God, the hearing with the attitude of, okay, if I see it here, I'm going to begin to put it into practice in my life. Right? Remember, that's what James said, right? If I, if I hear the word and I don't have the attitude of being a doer, I'm just deceiving myself. Yeah. I should have watched another Gilmore Girl or some other TV, Friends, or whatever your favorite TV show is. Yeah. Right? Because if I'm just going to hear the word and not actually have the attitude of what I hear, I'm going to endeavor to put into practice, then I have, I have fooled myself. The fool is me. To think that just hearing alone... Or just reading it is going to grow me. Mm-hmm. It's actually the relationship of I read it, I understand it, I recognize its instruction. I say, okay, God, I will begin to do what I see and hear I need to do. And I begin to put that into practice in my life. Perfectly? Nope. Didn't say anything about perfect, praise God. Mm-hmm. It just said, with a heart of doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Does that make sense? It's like a, you've probably heard the preacher's story. You know, there's the little boy 
and he's got his little pump BB gun and he's out on the back deck at night and he's pumping the BB gun up and he's lifting it up to his shoulders and he's shooting at the moon. Right? And he's doing it. And the daddy comes out and says, son, what are you doing? He goes, I'm shooting at the moon. And the daddy, being a mean and not good daddy, says, well, that's horrible, son. That's stupid. What in the world? You'll never hit the moon. And the little boy at least looks at me and says, well, I'll get closer and you will. <laughs> right? Because at least I'm shooting at the moon. Right? I mean, and sometimes you're going to read scripture and you're going to feel like that little boy going, God, I'm, I'm, uh, I've never seen this done before. I've never seen anybody do this before. I've never heard of anybody doing this yeah. before. But I'm going to go shoot for the moon. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the heart of a doer of the word of God. Now, please hear me. Not because my doing will make faith come. But because as I persuade myself, I will find my persuasion motivating me to do stuff. Yeah. That's so good. Does that make sense? Yes. It, again, it, it'd be... Is this all right? I'm going to have to land the plane on this one and we'll pick up again. You know, this is my lovely wife, right? Come here, stand up. Right? So, this is my lovely wife. Y'all know her. Some of you know her. So, it, we've been married now, sneaking up on 24 years. Right? Um, so, how many of you, you see me love on my wife? Has anybody ever seen me love on my wife? Right? Good. Some of y'all have. Some of y'all see me. I, I try to be affectionate. Please pardon me. I will grab her backside every now and then. It's just become my habit. If, if you see me do that, it's okay. I'm married to her. Right? It's just a way for me. Now, if I grab somebody else's backside, please somebody be kind enough to come slap me. I know Miss Eloise will. And she'll come slap me and say, don't ever do that again or I'll chop your hand off. I'll get this and then iron she'll go, And then she'll go tell her and she'll get the iron skillet and, and reinforce the lesson. Right? And so those kind of things. But what if you never saw me? Love on her. What if we knew, but you never saw us touch? You never saw us be affectionate? You never saw us tender with one another? You never saw us play with one another? You never saw us do? And I said, man, I love my wife. Would you believe me? Would you believe me? Do, do, <laughs> ben, what, tell me, Kurt, what you. Maybe. It could be, but here's the thing. But, but until you got to know. There's this thing where you're going. I had that happen. We were, we were in Canada and we were living. I love this. I remember it was Roland Ma. Brother Roland Ma comes up to me and goes, you and Selena okay? And I said, uh, yes, sir. Yeah, we're, we're just fine. And he goes, okay, good, because I never see you hold her hand. I never see you touch her. I never see you show her affection. That. Oh, yeah. I need to call Roland. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure y'all okay because it doesn't look like y'all care for each other. Well, but the truth is that I grew up in a very affectionate culture and he grew up where public displays of affection were not okay. They weren't just not okay. They were sinful. They were sinful. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I started dating him, I'm like, hold my hand. He's like, is anybody watching? Like he she, was she might sweating get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
And so, <laughs> and so I think it's important too to just revisit that and yeah. realize, okay. No, but it's, it's good, and, and, that's, and it is important. No, you know, you're staying here. Okay, good. <laughs> awesome. But it's the. Uh, but I say that just as an example, right? <laughs> because there, there is the power of persuasion, and we're still talking about faith in here. Right, because I could have said, hey, this morning we're going to take communion. Come up here and get it. And you could have sat there and said, well, I believe in that. I know what that means. I've heard that before. I'm just going to sit right here. And after a while, you might sit there. If you still, I don't think you actually believe do you see what I'm saying because when when you believe in something your belief not might not maybe not every now and then your belief that's what James Jesus's little brother said your belief will be seen in your corresponding action. Huh? That's how we got started doing it. That's right. That's how we got started doing it every week. Go ahead. You can be real bold. Yeah. That's right. Not going to commute. We didn't do it when the youngs were here. Like, I missed it. Like, we didn't. But it does. It does. Well, it does. Well, I'm even talking about this as, as the analogy. I mean, but the, the great thing is, is this, you know, again, even in the table itself, in most of our flavor of Christianity, again, I come and just so y'all know what I mean by that, I come from Pentecostal, charismaniac. Word of faith, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, Amen. confess it and possess it, greasy grace. That's me. Hopefully that's you too, because I think that's all the Bible. Okay, but I'm just picking on me because I can pick on me and I can pick on you too. But in our flavor of Christianity, this doesn't get done a lot. You might do it at Christmas. You no, know you got to do it at Easter because it's part of the story, Right. You know, in the different places I've been to, they do it once a month, maybe, to stretch it out, right? Does that make sense? And so I just use this as an example, though. But, you know, Audra brought this, but we do this because of her persuasion. And, you know, it's good to let other people's persuasion motivate you. Other people's persuasion, that's why, that's, that's actually, you understand... When you become persuaded about something and your faith is strong about something and you live your faith on one side, you live it. On the other side, and we'll talk about this next week, you share it, you talk about it, you speak of it, which is, by the way, the number one way we demonstrate our faith. The number one way faith is released is with our mouth. Again, why do I say that? Because how were you born again? Somebody tell me the mechanics of how you received Jesus. What is it, Brother Ken? 
you believed in your heart, the Lord Jesus, and you confessed with your mouth that he rose again from the dead and he is your savior and you're saved. So do you understand that mechanic? There's a lesson in there where, where God was showing us the number one way that we release our faith and we take, that's why I tell you when we do this, we don't just go, okay, well, everybody eat the cracker. <laughs> everybody drink the cup. Are y'all good? Everybody good? You know, we, that's why we take time to say something. That's why I encourage you to take time to say your own thanksgiving over it. Lord, I thank you for this bread. I thank you for this cup. Because I can't speak for you. And that, that's why we talk about, and we'll talk about the offering here in time. Uh, man, I tell you what, can I just say something? Just pause. It has nothing to do with the message. But boy, it, it blessed me. I walked in the back and there's already offerings in the bucket in the back. That just made me so happy. Amen. It did. That just, that just blessed me because, A, I'm like going, good. They're, they don't wait for somebody to tell them to give. They don't have to be told. That's awesome. Now, here, I'm going to tell you to give. Okay. And so, is, is this, but that's why when we give, we don't just drop it in the bucket. We don't just send the text off without first saying something and blessing what we do. Does that make sense? Not because it's abracadabra or hocus pocus. It's because that's the primary way your faith is released. Your faith is released by what you say. Back to my analogy with Selena. You know, y'all have heard, heard, heard this one. Well, I told you I loved you 24 years ago. <laughs> if I change my mind, I'll let you know. I done cut it. Right? No. She, how often do you want to hear I love you? Every day. Yeah, once Several a day. Times Every, a she, day. She wants to hear I love you a lot. Mm -hmm. Amen. And that's a good thing. Right? Th th does that make sense? There's a sharing. Your faith is released in words principally. Now, again, it also has to have actions because we've also met those people. They know the party line. Again, we've met those people. You know, how are you doing, Selena? I'm blessed. I'm highly favored with the Lord. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> right? And they don't mean it for nothing. So I'm not talking about that. When, you, when your heart is persuaded, when faith is there, Right? then your mouth always begins, your actions follow. Again, I, and I'll, I'll land the play on this. You know, I told you this again. When the Lord led me and persuaded me that I am free from my sin, I am no longer a slave to sexual temptation, to pornography, to the lust that comes from other stuff. That is no longer anything in my life. Does that mean I don't pass up some marvelous opportunities? All you got to do is watch TV for about a half an hour in our current culture, right? There's all kinds, of, there's times. So when temptation or opportunity comes, right, this is what happens. I find myself going, that is not at all anything to do. I want, don't want nothing to do with it. That's not me. That's not who he's made me to be. And then I'm looking for the remote. We're going to change the channel. We're going to watch something else or not watch nothing at all. Do, 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 you see, do you see that? It always, and you're going to find that pattern. You were born again, and the first thing that happened when you believed in Jesus is your mouth started working. You started saying, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Savior. You are God. 
you are my God. Yes. And then all of a sudden, your feet started following your words. You started living out stuff. And guys, listen, I say this because I want to kind of unchurchify some of this stuff and rehook us back up. This is how we'll live the rest of our life. When an opportunity to be sick comes and you believe and you're persuaded in your healing, you will find yourself saying, well, that's not me. That sickness is not mine. Right? It's trying to attach itself and you begin to talk to it. Oh, I curse you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I tell you to die. I tell you to get out in Jesus name. Right. This is what's going to happen. And then the Holy Spirit will lead you as he's done me from time to time. Right. Sometimes, you know what the leading looks like? I mean, I, t I told this, I think on Thursday, I told this, I I've suffered from kidney stones three times in my life. The third time we lived in Mexico City and it was not safe to go to the hospital. I wake up in the middle of the night. She's still asleep. And I feel the same familiar pain right here on this side. And I'm like going, oh, I know what that is. And now all of a sudden I stand up and go, but I can't go like I, I can't go to Tulsa Memorial. Because mm -hmm. if I check in down here, I could die. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, as, as nice as socialized medicine sounds, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's got another edge on it. Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, so I'm like, okay, I can't do that. So I go, Lord, what do I do? I'm up. I'm praying. I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking to this. And I'm saying, Lord, what do I need to do? And just on the inside of me, he says, need to get in the shower and need to take the hottest bath you could ever take. Get the water just as hot as you can stand it. And we had a straight, straight gas. I could, I could scald chickens in our shower. I could pluck. <laughs> we could make water so hot. I mean, you could cook stuff. And so he says, you get in that shower and you get that water just as hot as you can bear it. And I said, yes, sir. Do you see? I got in the shower, turned the water on, and I'm red. I'm cooking. And all of a sudden, I felt something pop right in there. Used the restroom, urinated in the shower. All the pain went out with that. Got up, walked around a little bit more, thanked the Lord. I was better and went back to bed. But do you, do you, I say that not to elevate anything other than that's the process. That's how we were born into this. It's how we will live in it. Right, we're going to talk about them next week. How then that happens because it is a process of persuasion. It's allowing yourself to be persuaded, and I love what Stephen Rosie said. And unbelief is an unwillingness to let yourself be persuaded. Yeah. Unbelief is is not. At the front end in action, it may lead to unbelieving actions, but the first action of unbelief is I'm not going to let myself be persuaded anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to go again and look at that. I'm not going to come again one more time and do that. I'm not going to. Does that make sense? No, Un unbelief is I am not persuaded. I will not be persuaded. You will not convince me otherwise. I'm going to hold on to my current belief or my current tradition, my current whatever. I will not let the scripture lead me somewhere else. That's unbelief. That was the problem with the Pharisees. They would not give up their tradition even when truth was standing physically in front of them performing the miracles they said truth had to perform. You ever wondered why Jesus did certain miracles and he did certain things at a certain time? He kept trying to convince the Jews. Mm -hmm. My favorite one is, is, is the man who was born blind. Jesus had healed other blind people, 
and it was never any scuffle. But Jesus in John chapter 8, 9, and 10, Jesus gets into this argument with the Pharisees and it starts as a swearing match. They say, you're the bastard son of Mary. He says, well, you're the bastard sons of your daddy, the devil. And off to the races they go. And they just start calling each other names. And finally, <laughs> and finally, it's Jesus, it's my, my three favorite chapters in the gospels. And Jesus is just having fun. And he's just picking on these guys. And finally he says, well, are you going to kill me because I did something good? And they said, no, we're going to kill you because you being a man make yourself out to be God. And he just pulls a Moses on him and says, before Abraham was, I am. And he quotes Moses and actually says, I am. Uses the phrase that Moses used about the great I am. And we know they understood what he meant because they all got really cheesed, tore their garments, which was funny, which was against the law, their law. So they tear their garments, pick up stuff, going to go kill him. And Jesus does a Jesus disappearing act. He turns and disappears in the crowd. But it says, but as he turns, he reaches out and he heals a man born blind and disappears. And the reason why that's so significant is the Pharisees had a verbal understanding, a, a, a non-written law, a non-written tradition. They had a verbal or an oral tradition that only Messiah could heal a man born blind because people who are born blind are blind because of either their sin or the sin of the parents. And only Messiah can remove sin. So Jesus turns and heals their miracle, performs their miracle for them, and says, now deal with that. <laughs> Does that make sense? But because they wouldn't see it, because they would not let their hearts be persuaded. See, that's unbelief. Unbelief is an unwillingness to allow your heart to be persuaded. As long as our heart is saying, again, like that father, God, I, I know some stuff. I believe as far as I know. But I can see there's some areas I still need to be persuaded in. Father, help me be persuaded. Help my unbelief. Help me be persuaded. Where I'm, I'm missing it, show me where I'm missing it. Teach me where I'm missing it. Bring my persuasion up to the level of what Scripture is. But I will not say I'll not be persuaded. Does that make sense? Amen. Well, Lord, we love you so much. So grateful for today. Lord, as always, thankful for these people who come and so hungry to listen and learn and to grow together. And Father, thank you for the journey you have us on. And we bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen.